looking and surprise us with your glory. God, I, I struggle sometimes to praise you when, when it's cloudy. I sometimes struggle to praise you when, when life is not going the way that I would want it or thought it would go. Like even of last week, God, those moments when, when it looked like fire would consume um, people that I care about's homes, when it when it looked like, um, God, that people who uh, were facing just unbelievable physical trials, God, would not would not receive the answer to their prayers. I confess that there's times in my life where my faith fails and I fall short, God, of Your glory. God, I thank you that every time we come to you, every time like Peter, we get back on our feet, God, and, and come back and, and repent of our brokenness, of our failures, of our sins. You, you forgive. You set us on our feet. You lift up our faces. And you reveal your glory. Now, oh, God, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table today. We cry out to you in Jesus' name. Forgive us our sins, God, for they are many. Forgive us for the times when we could not take our eyes off of ourselves, off of the idols that we have surrounded ourselves with. And when we, when we trusted in things rather than in you. Thank you. Thank you, God, that today we can come before you. We can be cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb. God, and, and, and we can have this confidence that even as you passed over the houses of those who were marked with the blood of the Lamb, so you pass over us who are marked with the blood of the Lamb of God. Oh, we rejoice, God, in the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. And now we just ask God that, that you would allow us to live as those that as becomes followers of Jesus, as those who have said to the world, follow me as I follow Christ. Help us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, God. To love and to live and to follow even where he goes. God, I pray especially for us as, as we near Holy Week and remind ourselves of the passion of Christ. He left his Father's throne to enter into our world, to take upon himself our suffering so that we might not have to suffer the consequences of our own sin. So that we might not have to suffer the consequences of others' sins. So God, we're just so grateful for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. We receive that precious gift today. God, as we have cried out this morning, we ask you, give us a glimpse, would you? We know that we cannot see you face to face and live, but we're just so mindful of the many glimpses you gave your disciples of your glory. I pray that our lives would be would be motivated not by what we see before us, but by your glory. And then God, I know as we 
fix our eyes on you. Others' gaze will be directed to you as well. Others will come to know the glory of God through the saving power of Jesus Christ because we experience that. So we love you. We pray your blessing on our time today. Show us your glory. And God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Amen. Hey, would you go to God's Word with me, however you open that? And we're mindful that very soon we'll be able to have pews back in the Bible, uh, have Bibles back in the pews. But uh, until then, uh, we invite you to open your phones, open your, your own Bibles, and join us as we read God's Word together. There is power in the Word of God, and there's power as we open it and, and read it together as well. I invite you first, if you would, to turn to our core passage for today. It's Matthew 17. I'm going to pare it down a little bit uh, just because we have uh, such a short time together. We're going to read uh, just Matthew 17, 1 through 8. Oh, uh, the passage continues, and I invite you in your personal study to continue that study in Matthew 17. While you're turning there, just a reminder of where we were last week. We have seen over the last two weeks that Jesus took his disciples way up to the very border of uh, Israel to a place called Caesarea Philippi, where he intentionally placed them before uh, one of the most idolatrous uh, uh, places in all of Israel. And, and it was as if he was saying in front of all these other false gods, who do you say that I am? Do you remember? And, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and several things happened right there. But one of them was that Jesus, for the very first time, proclaimed himself to his disciples what the demons had been saying everywhere he went. Uh, Jesus began to tell them what must happen to him. He shared with them God's purpose for his life. And I suggested to you, in a way, he shared with them God's purpose for their lives as well. He said the Son of Man is going to suffer and, and be crucified and die and on the third day be raised again. When Peter objected, he rebuked Peter and then invited them to also walk with him. You remember that? Our memory verse? Um, many of you have it on your wrist. Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We're going to pick up our passage today right at the end of that. In verse 27 of um, Matthew 16, Jesus continued, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then continuing in chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, his triad, the special group of disciples that he five times pulled away to be with him. 
And he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Transfigured is a word that translates the same word that you know, metamorphosed before them. Transformed before them. But it was visible. It was visible. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke, Luke 9 also uh, a parallel account, um, it records uh, Peter didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was saying. But I just note for you there that the word tense there is the same word as tabernacle. And when Moses took Joshua and her and Aaron up on the mountain with him, later on Moses was called further up on the mountain, um, when they came down from experiencing the glory of God, the first thing that God did then was also to build a tabernacle, right? So Peter takes a lot of grief for this, but, but um, he's not actually that far off base, right? While he, Peter, was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Does that sound familiar? Just like on Mount Sinai. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, quoting Psalm 2, with whom I am well pleased, quoting Isaiah 62. Listen to him. Listen to him. Quoting Deuteronomy 18:15. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. Would you turn to one more place with me as well? And we're going to also look at Second Peter 1, 16 through 19. Second Peter 1. 16 through 19. Now, this is obviously written by Peter. Now, how many years later? Probably 25 or 30 years later, reflecting back on the experience that we just read about. Peter says, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19, the very last words of Peter before he himself was crucified. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is he talking about? For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns 
And the morning star rises in your hearts. The very Word of God. Mm. Oh, goodness. Well, it's been so fun to return again to these events. Just as an outline again of where we've been going uh, following Easter, we're going to look at John 21 where Jesus reminds his disciples of several significant events that they had experienced and helps them start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. But today we're looking at one of those pieces. It's called the transfiguration or the transformation of Jesus. I want to just ask a couple of questions as to help you get started and just remind you that immediately following our service in two different locations, rooms 201 and 202, different groups of disciples will be gathering to explore in a deeper way this very same passage, uh, the Word of God here in Matthew 17. But first, let's just take a moment and say, where did this transfiguration happen? Um, there's a couple of clues in our passage for a moment that I wanted to look at. Uh, first of all, uh, after six days, Matthew 17, 1, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. If you were to go to Israel today, many of you have been, um, um, you would probably, if someone, if you asked someone where did the transfiguration occur, they would probably say, well, we celebrate the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. Uh, a volcanic outcrop uh, not far from uh, Galilee where uh, Queen Helena in the 4th century said, I think this is probably a good-looking mountain. That might be where it happened. And I would just say again, I'm not trying to make fun of that. Um, um, uh, it doesn't really matter where these things happen. What matters is that they happened, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm just intrigued um, by the Word of God and by those little tiny clues that are in there sometimes, and I'm wondering maybe if you are too. Um, the, the Word of God here, uh, Matthew tells us, they went up on a high mountain, right? And Mount Tabor is uh, a standalone volcano, and, and, and it looks high, but it's actually about 2,000 feet high. But if you were to stand south of Mount Tabor and look at Mount Tabor, you would be able to see rising in the distance behind it a 9,000-foot peak called Mount, we call it Mount Hermon, probably more accurate to say Mount Hermon, right? Um, you would see this glorious high mountain. Now, for the last two weeks, we've been in Caesarea Philippi, which is at the very foot of that mountain. And so if you're looking for a high mountain, uh, my goodness, there's none, no other candidate um, more worthy than, than uh, Mount Hermon right there. But, but there also was a clue in Peter's testimony so many years later. He said they went up on a holy mountain, right? Second uh, Peter 1.18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and for we were with him on the holy mountain, right? The holy mountain. Now, um, oftentimes people would think, well, you must be talking about Mount Zion, right? But clearly they weren't on Mount Zion. It's interesting uh, to me that uh, the name Hermon or Hermon means holy mountain, means holy mountain. So very likely 
Um, they, they were at the base of Mount Hermon at Caesarea Philippi, and they went up on that mountain. Why would that be important? Well, Mount Tabor, there was a military installation in Jesus' time on top of Mount Tabor. So it's not likely that they went up to a fort and, and had this experience there. But there was no such thing there on Mount Hermon. By the way, there is one now on the very top of Mount Hermon. It's a United Nations outpost because you can see all of Lebanon. You can see all of Syria. You can see all of Israel from the top of that. But it wasn't there in Jesus' day. So, so where did the transfiguration happen? It doesn't matter what matters that it happened. But I just, uh, I just know it's too tempting for people to believe that because we can't nail a detail down, it must not have happened. Uh, um, we've, been, we've been rebuked so many times by archaeology when we said, oh, that couldn't have happened that way. And then, boom, one day we discover um, physical evidence that it did. Where did it happen? It happened on a very high and holy mountain, possibly, very possibly Mount Hermon. But what happened? What is going on here? Now, I want to jump for just a second. Um, this story appears in the Synoptic Gospels, the three Gospels that look in the same manner at Jesus. And uh, Mark and Matthew and Luke all record this passage kind of emphasizing how critical a passage it is. But Luke gives us a tiny little detail that, that Matthew didn't. Uh, in Luke 9, 28 and 29, he says, After these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. To pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dust and white. So, so, why did they go up on this mountain? They went up to pray. And I love Jesus that he's teaching his disciples how to walk with God. And so he takes them with him to do something he did every day. Um, oftentimes before the sun even rose, sometimes all the way through the night, Jesus went to talk with his heavenly father. And while he was talking with his heavenly father, this transformation took place. I'm afraid I'll forget to come back to this later. So I just want to say, um, uh, prayer is critical in our relationship with Jesus. But you cannot pray and not expect to be changed. I know I'm pushing this point a little bit. When we pray, we are changed. We are uh, transformed. It might not physically be visible like here in this passage on transfiguration, but it's just as real. You can be transformed from glory to glory uh, in the presence of Jesus every time you set apart time to pray. So they went to pray, but what happened while they were there? They beheld the divine glory of the sun. Remember, it's just been very recently, less than a week earlier, that they finally had the courage, someone among them finally had the courage to say, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the glorified one who's come to us, right? But they had not actually seen it with their eyes. Jesus to them looked just like any of us look to one another. He looked like a normal man. And so 
and in going up on the mountain, they were given a glimpse. There's that word again. They were they were given an insight into into his glory by his heavenly Father. They beheld the divine glory of the Son. Now remember that Moses, who represents, I think, in this in this story, all of the law, right? Moses had just reflected. Remember the whole thing with his face? Had just reflected the glory of God. Elijah, the 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 quintessential prophet who represents all of the prophets had just proclaimed his glory, right? But Jesus, now the fulfillment of the law and the prophets now reveals, reveals divine glory. How does he do that? He, he radiates the splendor of God. The words escape them. And, and this happened time and time again when people either actually experienced the presence of God, or or God gave them a vision of the glory of God. Uh, it was amazing. It was beautiful, bright white, shining like the suns. Their the clothes radiated. Right. Um, um, what is it that they're radiating? They're radiating the splendor of God. And once in a while, we get these tiny little glimpses in in a sunrise or something like that. I can I tell you that's just a glimpse. One day we will stand in the presence of God and we will experience his splendor in person as well. But he also, Jesus also unveils the presence of God. Did you see that cloud that came down? That always represents the glory of God descending, the very presence of God on the mountain, on the tabernacle, um, Wherever that cloud descended was the presence of God. I'm so grateful for this passage and the parallel passage when he was first baptized because Jesus also embodies the pleasure of God. My heart just breaks when I think how many people beat themselves up because they do not believe that God could somehow find pleasure in them. Well, I want to I want to just um, disabuse you of that for a couple of reasons. One is you're created in God's image, and and no matter what you do or have done or has been done to you, nothing can take that away. But secondly, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then Christ's Spirit dwells in you, right? And and so even when you, like Peter, make mistakes, even when when you act or speak foolishly, it's just like my my grandchildren. If they if they do something that that they're not supposed to do, it doesn't change for a moment my love for them, right? Uh, so, so I take so much pleasure in that. I'm so grateful for grandchildren for that, for that reason, and, and children too. But it just seems like it's easier for us to receive with grandchildren than it was with our own kids, right? We're still mad at our kids. No, um, it's just an expression. Of, oh my goodness, we just delight in them, right? Why, beloved, is it so hard to believe that God delights in you? Um, he does it for two reasons. You are His. He created you. He formed you. He knew you in your mother's womb. Right? But secondly, 
You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so his words to Jesus are his words to you. You are my beloved child. And, and our Bible is translated, with whom I'm well pleased. And the actual words are, in whom my soul takes delight. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my goodness. One of the things I love about little children is that if they're delighted, the whole world knows, right? They got a wet diaper, the whole world knows as well. But if they're delighted, the whole world knows. Your father, your father delights in you. So he embodies the delight or the pleasure of God. But he also speaks the very word of God. He is, um, shoot, I should have looked it up. It's Deuteronomy 18, I believe, um, where uh, Moses says, after me will come one like me. Moses prophesied that one like him would come. And, and he is, Jesus is the prophet promised by Moses. The Father used Moses to deliver his people from slavery, right? Thank you, God. But the Father sent Jesus to deliver his people from another slavery, from sin. That's why just a few moments ago I invited you. There's nothing you have done or has been done to you that God cannot forgive, right? Jesus delivers his people from sin. That's why we remember him today. So he's a prophet promised by Moses, but he's also the messenger preceded by Elijah. John the Baptist's ministry of restoration was the fulfillment of Malachi, uh, where, where it was promised that, that uh, Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the children to their parents and the hearts of the parents to their young. John the Baptist, as if we'd gone further, we'll see Jesus identifies with Elijah. John the Baptist's ministry of restoration was accomplished through his suffering and death. Jesus' ministry of redemption. Of redemption. Do you know that word? I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Right? I have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus' ministry of redemption would be accomplished through His suffering and death. So a couple of insights before we come to the table of the Lord. The disciples did not understand it, but you do. You do. The cross of Christ must come before the crown of Christ. Okay? If you do not understand it, you will not understand Jesus. And, and if they were surprised by what seems like good news, although the Old Testament, um, particularly the book of Isaiah, uh, it spins... It spins at least 13 chapters building up to Isaiah 53, preparing us. Jesus was the fulfillment of the suffering servant. The cross of Christ must come before the crown. I could not help but go on a bunny trail and, and just go back to those crowns that are mentioned in the Bible. One day we'll study them again together. But the whole purpose of the crowns was to be able to worship to be able to throw them at the feet of the crowned one, Jesus Christ. 
So the cross of Christ must come before the crown of Christ. That's true for Jesus, but it's also true for us. If you have experienced suffering, if you are experiencing suffering right now, know that God has not abandoned you. In fact, He's loving you and leading you toward His glory. So the cross of Christ must come first. But also, uh, don't miss this. Uh, when I was growing up, people said, you are what you eat. And I, I'm a testament to that being true because I am not a taco, right? Um, I live for them, but I am not a taco, right? Um, so we, that phrase, you are what you eat, is not true, but maybe this one is, I believe it is, we will become like that which we behold. To behold means to gaze, but but it's 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 an energized gaze. It's a it's a looky there. It's a it's a I'm 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 receiving completely what I see before me. Where is your gaze? The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, making a reference to Moses, kind of a dig, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Think of the King James says, from glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, we are being transformed. From what? It's, is it easy? No. Is it? Is it fun? Not always. Is it painful? Many times. But it's also purposeful, right? It's purposeful. God is conforming us to the image of His Son. So, according to Scripture, we are transformed into that which we continually look toward. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's have nothing before our face. And Jesus, last week I had to just end. I've had a, one app that I've used for, for many years. And it has just progressively gotten nastier and nastier. And I couldn't do anything but just sever that relationship with it. And I don't want those things popping up on my screen. Um, I don't want to see those things. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, you might be surprised at which app I had to delete, too. My goodness. Um, wow. The third insight. Again, um, I was afraid I wouldn't get to it, but let me just emphasize it again. When we pray, we are the ones who are changed. It's a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing. So how shall we respond? I love... Uh, We've heard so many of the disciples, and including the one untimely born, the Apostle Paul. But this comes from the Apostle John in 1 John 3. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. Because, guess what? We shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in Jesus purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. You see that connection? We're gazing at Jesus. He gives us hope. That hope purifies us. So what do we do? 
Let's look to Jesus' worth, right? It's not about your worthiness. You were never worthy. I have never been worthy of either the grace or the glory of God. Let's look to the one who is. Let's look to Jesus. Let's listen to his word. However, God would allow you to do that. Let's listen to his unadulterated word. And as we listen to the written word and to the spoken word, we gain a picture of the living word, Jesus Christ. And let's choose. Let's choose to live for his glory, for his renown. Okay? Let's live for his renown. Let's proclaim the one that we praise. Let's embrace the suffering as we follow our Savior. Embrace it. Oh, it's so easy, Pastor Dave, for you to say that. You're not suffering. You're absolutely right. I, I have not experienced anything near what many of you have. My words are by faith in seeing what happened to the suffering servant and seeing what happened as Jesus embraced his suffering. Let's embrace our suffering as we follow our Savior. Now, now we're going to live in this world. We're going to live in this kingdom. We're going to be responsible citizens in this kingdom, but we're genuinely living for the eventual coming of his kingdom, which began when we put our trust in Christ. His kingdom is here, but one day will be not by faith. One day will be by sight. All of us will see his glory. I have to press pause and say, so so did this fulfill that promise? I can't tell you for sure that it did. I, I can't tell you because it said we will see Jesus coming in glory with all his angels, right? And so I, I can't tell you that this fulfilled the promise of Matthew 16. That's a mystery that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. But I can tell you that we will all see his glory. We who have put our trust in Jesus. So let's long for his return. Okay? Let's live for his return. Let's remember him. Come on up, worship team. Let's remember him in the sacred moments, not just when together as the body of Christ we gather around the table of the Lord. But let's live sacramentally every day of our life so that no matter where we go, people will see a glimpse of our Savior through us. I'll pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much that you intentionally took your disciples, you have now this morning intentionally taken us to a place that we might not ever have gone on our own. But there was a, a revelation for us there, a revelation of your glory, a revelation of your purpose and plan. God, today we come to your table and we remember that transfiguration. We remember your words to us, your disciples. God, we remember, Jesus, what you did on our behalf. 
I'll take this simple bread, would you, Lord? And make it the sacrament of your body. Take this simple juice, would you, Lord? And, and make it the sacrament of your blood. And as we partake of them by faith today, we pray, God, that you would draw us near to you. That you would grant us a glimpse of your glory. Now we love you. Now we love you, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Well, as we'll see in a few uh, days, um, Jesus very intentionally took an amazing remembrance of Moses delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And he transformed it into a remembrance of Jesus' deliverance from our slavery to sin. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, that Monday, Thursday evening, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At the conclusion of that Passover Seder, he took the cup. Many believe it was the cup of redemption. And, and he held it and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul added, he said, whenever we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I invite you to the Lord's table. All those of you who have put your trust in Jesus Christ and your baptized children, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. If you're not at that place, God is still working in your heart, that's okay. But I know that you're loved and, and delighted in by your Heavenly Father and by your brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you are, I invite you to come and proclaim with us today. We're going to do that by inviting you to come down the center aisles. You can come from both sides down the center aisles, split and go to the appropriate uh, side of the table. Uh, take the bread Take the cup and then return to your seats with them in your hands, if you would. And when you're back in your seats, when everyone's back, we'll partake of them together. Is that fair enough? Beginning with those of you in the back, would you come to the table of the Lord?